What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. As adults, we have built up many barriers that affect how we relate to the world we live in. Prejudice, sexism, stereotyping, and fear are just a few of these barriers. Some of these, such as the fear of snakes, for example, can be beneficial and helpful to us. Others, such as prejudice, are more destructive. It seems that it is the experience and events that happen to all of us during our growing up process that provide the context for us to develop these barriers. For example, a child may take on a protective shell of fear of snakes after receiving a bite. Also, a teenager may take on a barrier of racial prejudice in order to fit in with a local peer group. No matter what the barrier is, these types of boundaries only close the doors of possibility for children. A fear of snakes may shut the door to an entire world of wonderfully uncanny reptiles. The barrier of racial prejudice closes young people off from potential friends, and if it leads to violence, entire lives of possibility can be cut short. Author of many books for children, Susan Cooper, has observed that young people react to books in a very uncomplicated manner. Young people experience literature with much the same attitude grown-ups have when they have just fallen in love. Children surrender to books with complete acceptance, warmth, and generosity. Because children are more accepting, children's literature is more apt to present anything at all without barriers. Because authors of children's books write to an intended audience of children, this gives them a slate of literary elements to work with that gives them the potential to convey their stories with a sense of candid honesty that can help children see the world in the best light. It seems, then, that books can present worldviews that are free of barriers. The contrast between characters who live with and without barriers show children more positive ways of living. By exposing them to numerous events and to many different views of life, reading assists young people as they break down their own boundaries. So a book like I Don't Like Snakes by Nicola Davies and illustrated by Luciano Lozano may just help break down a barrier of fear. And a book like Stella by Starlight by Sharon N. Draper may break down barriers of prejudice. Children close their open doors of potential and create barriers because they are frightened by the perceived evils that lurk around them. So we figure here at Rachel's World that it's up to us as adults to show children through great books just how to have the courage to break down a few barriers. Honesty. Respect. Tolerance, responsibility, dependability. Who wouldn't want to instill these character traits in our children? Our first guest today, educator and author Mary Bigler, talks to Rachel about how we can do that. Her solution? Surprise of all surprises. The answer might just include quality books, and Mary will have a few recommendations. 
Once a preschool teacher and now a professor, she has spent her life promoting literacy and celebrating the joys of teaching. She is an award-winning professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University and author of Lessons Learned. Here's Rachel and Mary Bigler. Welcome, Mary. I'm glad to have a chat with you today. I know one of the things that both of us are passionate about is building character with children's literature. And one of the things that you talk about is how there are different character traits that we can build with children's literature. So jump in and tell us a little bit about where we would start with building character traits with children's books. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about two of my favorite subjects, which are children and books, and how we bring those together, and especially on this very important topic of character education. I know that helping children develop into good characters is of concern to both parents and teachers, and as I speak to parent and teacher groups throughout the country, I find them eager for suggestions about what they can do to nurture healthy and loving and productive children. I know a lot of us are worried that our youngsters are being unduly influenced by the mixed messages of the media, and we want to be more proactive in conveying our expectations and values to children. And to me, good character traits transcend religious and cultural beliefs. They're kind of universally recognized as worthwhile virtues. So I think that by listening to to children and talking with them and reading with them, we have the opportunity to cultivate values so that our young people will learn how to make good choices and behave appropriately. I couldn't agree more. I I think it's interesting you mentioned the media and the impact of media, but a lot of people include children's books in that, that there is a negative impact with children's literature in some of these ways, like other media like television and movies would be. So how do you think children's literature might be a little bit different than those other types of medias in having more of a moral character? Well, I think if we make good choices uh, and use quality books and visit with children about the messages that are being conveyed, then I think we have a good chance at helping them to realize how important those traits and qualities are and help them to decide if they want to have those in, in their wheelhouse or in their repertoire or in their character. You know, so many times with other media, I don't think, adults have an opportunity to interact with the children and talk about what they're learning and what they're viewing and what they're hearing. But with books, we have a chance to actually sit and chat with children and help give our adult perspective on them. So if we make good choices in the first place and choose books with solid themes that encourage good behavior and activity and action out of children, I think we can use those books to deliver positive messages to children. I love that sense that this really is a dialogue and it's a conversation that we need to be having. And part of the key to this is having the book as part of the conversation and even just a conversation starter. So what's maybe a book that you love that would be one of those great conversation starters? Well, you know, I look for books that have messages that I appreciate that tie in with virtues I'm trying to help children develop. So, for example, if I take the the character of honesty, being honest can be hard because it sometimes goes against our self-preservation instincts. We've all been in situations where we were afraid that we were going to get in trouble if we told the truth. And sometimes total honesty can be unkind, so we tell little white lies so we don't hurt people's feelings. 
And I think it's important for children to hear lots of examples of honesty in situations where people choose to be honest or not so that they will have models of how to handle situations they will encounter in life. So, for example, I love the book Too Many Tamales by Gary Soto, which features a little girl who loses her mother's diamond ring that, of course, she was not supposed to be playing with, and then she has to fess up. Or Eve Bunting's A Day's Work, which features a little boy who lies about his grandfather's qualifications to get a job, and then he has to live with the repercussions of Grandpa not doing the job correctly. And a thought-provoking novel with my middle school children, um, Shiloh, by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, that addresses the issue of whether it's okay to lie to protect a dog from an abusive owner. These stories highlight tough decisions we are sometimes forced to make in life, and they offer scenarios that enable children to consider what they would do in similar circumstances. So I look for books that will reinforce the messages I want children to know about the virtue or trait that I'm trying to get ingrained in them. We are so blessed that we have so many fabulous books that can be used for any uh, virtues or traits. Uh, Let's take respect and tolerance. Children need to hear words of respect and tolerance to counter the words of anger and discrimination that they sometimes experience in everyday life. And you and I know that books can show the importance of keeping an open mind and help us teach respect and tolerance for others as we celebrate differences in beliefs and ethnicity and languages and religion. So I have to introduce children to Kevin Hankus's Chrysanthemum, a little mouse who loves her name until she goes to school and the other children start making fun of it because it's so long and unusual. A teacher saves the day in Chrysanthemum, so all you teachers out there will want to read this book as well as share it with your children because it conveys a strong message about bullying. Todd Parr has a beautifully illustrated picture book for young children called It's Okay to Be Different, where children are taught to appreciate the attributes that make them unique and to have pride in who they are and what they can do. And for older children, Karen Hess's novel Witness demonstrates the power of respect in solving difficult social problems. So all of these books emphasize the importance of being tolerant and respectful and offer positive resolutions to difficult and sensitive situations. All of those titles, I agree with you. They are really great books. And I think, for me, one of the broader things about all of this is, is developing empathy. I think a lot of virtues come into that if we're able to have empathy with other people, that we can be more honest and we can be more tolerant and, and we can be more accepting and all of these things. So what do you think it is about these stories or stories in general that have this really special power to help us develop these virtues and things like empathy in a way that other types of things might not. You know, who can forget the little boy from Mem Fox's book, Wilfred Gordon MacDonald Partridge, who attempts to help an elderly friend get her memory back by sharing his precious treasures with her, or a granddaughter who tries to teach her grandmother how to read in the Wednesday Surprise by Eve Bunting. These are beautiful stories featuring young people who demonstrate remarkable compassion for other people. And we need to have we need these kind of role models for children and we have the books that can provide those role models in addition we want to demonstrate compassion and caring in our own lives 
And we show that by being kind and polite and listening to other people and helping, that we develop that caring, compassionate attitude. We should encourage children to make caring a part of their daily routine by doing things for other people, like reading to a preschool child or visiting an elderly neighbor. And then children realize that they feel good after treating other people with kindness and compassion and having empathy. And they may strive to be more caring in their own future if, if, they, if they do that. Because encouraging the children to think deeply will help them to develop their own value system, which will in turn lead them to character development that you and they are proud of. One of the things I love about stories is that they can portray pure role models. I think sometimes in real life, when we think about role models, we might look towards celebrities or people on television or something. But even those people, they're not really pure role models, right? right. They may make mistakes. They may have negative things about them. And But in stories, you can manipulate it enough that, you know, everything is going to come out all right and everything is going to react in the way that we would we would want especially children to understand about the progression of these things and and we can deal with these emotions at a at a more pure level than I think we can in real life do do you agree with that perspective I certainly do and especially if we've got other people there to um balance or offer opinions you know listening listening to other children uh listening to other adults um, for example, I think fairness is a character trait that causes frequent debate at home and school. Uh, I think it's not fair is a refrain that all of us adults have heard many times. So it's important to share books that urge children to look at other people's points of view, not just their own. It's not always simple. It's not always black and white. And there are many viewpoints to consider and I think you're so right that in, in the, the real world sometimes, we can't control how people react. And we can't even always discuss how people are reacting because we don't always have all the information to make a good judgment. But in a story, we can reread the story and we can see the nuances and we can say what else could have happened or how would you have handled it. And then I think kids begin to really internalize what it means to be fair and they understand they don't always get their way, or it's not always, things are not always within their control. And in real life, we don't have that. We can't do that. But we certainly can when we're talking about characters in books. I, I agree with you totally. Also, part of the struggle with all of this, particularly with children and young children, is helping them to understand how much context matters. And that's one of the things that story does for us, is it provides that context in a really powerful way. Right. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of writing and being an author. We can change and make the context how we want it. And for children to make decisions about what's ethical or what's right, um, they, need to, they need to really think and make critical evaluations and then um, say, okay, if I don't like the way this is ending in this story, how would I write the story? Or how, how could I write another story that would represent my point of view? And that's really what authors do after all. So um, I always think we can get children to think more deeply and then write about their own viewpoints if we share these kinds of books that make them think and teach them about context and their wider world. 
That's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Mary. I really appreciate your time today helping us understand about more how children's literature and reading that with our children can help us to help develop character in them. It has been an honor talking to you. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity to share ideas with you and all of our listeners out there. That was educator author Mary Bigler talking about building character in children with a little help from books. Next, Rachel welcomes Terrell Young, a children's literature expert at BYU, for a conversation about poetry and kids. Young believes children have a natural affinity for poetry because of their love of language, rhythm, and rhyme. He has served on numerous committees and is co-author of many books, including Children's Literature Briefly and Independent Reading, Creating Lifelong Readers. Here's Rachel and Terrell Young. We have Terry in studio today. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Let's talk about poetry. I know it's a love that both you and I share. We, we love poetry. So tell us a little bit about why you love poetry. What, what makes poetry so great? Well, I've always loved poetry because of uh, the expression and the words, the rhythm, the patterns. And uh, I would often find that I would read poetry and think of several possibilities of what that poem would mean. And sometimes poetry would help me discover things about myself that I hadn't really realized. I love that sense of just the emotion and the depth of poetry. And I think in some ways that's something that kind of ruins poetry for some people is because we spend too much time on trying to analyze it and figure out what it means and what it says. So how do we approach that as teachers or as parents? How do we keep that love of the beauty that the poetry gives us and the change and the learning that it gives us, but at the same time not pulling that love out of people? Well, I think the the key is just to share poetry, to read it with expression, invite kids to join in, and not to try to analyze it. Uh, so often uh, people have decided what they think that the authors really intended poetry to mean and and then people have questioned the poets and said, no, it was nothing like that at all. And to realize that, that that's really not what poetry is about for kids. But, you know, as kids are immersed in poetry, they learn so much about vocabulary. They develop phonological awareness that helps them later with reading. And they also learn background knowledge. And so I think just to have fun with poetry. I think that children, particularly young children, have a natural affiliation to poetry in a way that sometimes grows out of them. Kids love to play with language. They love to play with rhythm. They love to play with rhyme. And poetry is a natural expression. Poets for children really do that really well. They take that. So tell us about some of your favorite uh, poets for children. Well, one of my favorites for children is J. Patrick Lewis, and I would call him a master of wordplay because he creates words and he uses words in such ways that it's just really fun. And his poetry is so diverse. He has poems that are about civil rights heroes, and then he has little short uh, riddles about different books that kids can really respond to and relate to really well. So he's one of my favorites. Uh, another favorite poet of, that I really enjoy sharing her work is Joyce Sidman. And she writes uh, a lot of nonfiction poetry. She has a, a collection called Winter Bees. And it's all about the habits of uh, animals during the wintertime. And so she'll have 
a really engaging poetry that's filled with beautiful words, but it's factual. And then she'll have a piece of factual information to go with that that tells more about that. And I found that kids really like that. And she's not the only poet who does that. Uh, Douglas Florian, he often will have a lot more humor laced in his, but he'll have the informational aspect about birds or insects or whatever the topic as well. And kids find that interesting. Another favorite of mine is Marilyn Singer. And she writes all kinds of poems, but what I'm really most excited about with her poetry is she's created her very own poetry form called the Reverso. So she uses the exact same words, and she keeps them in phrases, and she turns those around. And so in one order, it's the Big Bad Wolf, and in the other order, it's Red Riding Hood. And her latest book uses Greek mythology, and so... She'll have two different characters from Greek mythology, and it's just incredible. And I've played around with this and tried to do that myself, and it's incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think that that's one of my most very favorite forms just because it allows you to see the perspective in two different ways and embraces that poetic form in a very unique in a unique way. But how do you go about discovering poetry books? I mean, we have our favorites that we've gone over our careers, but but how would an adult who isn't familiar with this, how would they go about finding some beautiful poets? Well, I think there are two really good resources that adults should tap into. And the National Council of Teachers of English has an award for uh, poets who have uh, contributed their body of work as a great contribution to children's poetry. Just Google NCTE Poetry Awards, and you could find those winners. And so uh, Marilyn Singer and Joyce Sidman and J. Patrick Lewis have all won that. And then something else that NCTE has is they uh, compile a list of notable poetry for children every year. And some of those books have show the new trends. So, for instance, Lee Wardlaw has uh, – connected haiku to tell a story about a cat named wonton, and then there's wonton and chopstick, where it introduces a dog. And then Margarita Engel has a book called Orangutanka. It uses tanka poems. It has a story about orangutans that is just delightful. And so there are a lot of good resources for uh, parents and teachers if they look for them. I really like that book, Wonton, partially because it uses poems to tell a whole story. So it's not individual poems about individual things. It's connecting the pieces of the story. So it's an interesting way to kind of connect um, the different events and make it in a whole story. And that's something that uh, young adult authors do, too, and children's authors do in novels and verse. So talk a little bit about that. How do we take individual poems and connect them together to make a whole story and a novel, in fact? Okay. And uh, one of uh, BYU's professors, Chris Crow, published a book a couple of years ago called Death Coming Up a Hill. And that's really interesting because what he uses is connected haiku to tell the story about 1968, which was the worst year of the Vietnam War. And something interesting is that he has a syllable in his book for every person who lost his or her life in the Vietnam War that year. And so that's fascinating. And Marguerite Engel, I mentioned her before, but uh, they're gifted at, at using 
Well, in Chris Crow's case, it was haiku, but in Margarita Engel and others have written a, a lot where they use free verse and tell a complete story. And so no one poem stands alone, but all of those poems together create a very engaging and inspiring story. So when you were at classroom teacher and working with students, how did you use poetry in your classroom to help open up this amazingly vast world to your students? Well, when I was preparing to be a teacher, um, I had a children's literature teacher who quoted Charlotte Huck and said that every elementary teacher should read three things a day to his or her students, uh, one poem, at least one picture book, and a chapter from a chapter book every day. And so I tried to do that. So I shared poetry with my kids every day. And I can remember the first day it would snow, I would go find a, a poem about snow and share it with the kids, I'd share poems about spring. Uh, when kids were getting restless, I would find poems just to change the pace. And, and kids enjoyed that and appreciated that. And so that was something behind, beyond what I typically shared with them. But I could also find poetry about most topics that we had in school. Uh, not so many with math, but there were a few but with other topics, whatever we were studying, whether it was biomes or, or American history, I could find poems related to that, and, and the kids loved it. Yeah, and I think the scope of children's poetry today is just immensely vast, and you just dip your little toe in, and you're ready to, <laughs> ready to go and find the amazing things that are out there. So thanks so much, Terry, for spending some time with us today and talking about one of our favorite topics, poetry. Sure. It's been a pleasure. That was Terrell Young talking about sharing the joy of poetry with kids. We finish up the show today with a book review from Rita Christensen, children's librarian at the Orem Public Library in Utah. Christensen introduces a junior graphic novel entitled El Defo by Cece Bell. I'm going to review today El Defo. It is an optimistic and funny junior graphic novel memoir written and illustrated by Cece Bell. It won the 2015 Newbery Honor Award, the 2015 Eisner Award for Best Publication for Kids, and the 2016 Utah Beehive Book Award for Children's Fiction. Have you ever wanted to have superhero powers? Powers of flight, time travel, or mind control? As a spirited and spunky four-year-old, Cece Bell contracted meningitis. She recovered from the illness but lost her hearing. Cece's disability and childhood experiences are depicted in El Defo, where she discovers her own superhero power through a hearing device called the phonic ear. Cece struggles in school and in her neighborhood with feeling lonely and different because the phonic ear sits on her chest, under her shirt, with wires going up to her ears. She desperately wants to have best friends, but finds her disability hinders her confidence. She discovers, however, that her elementary school teacher's microphone that is connected to her phonic ear transmits her teacher's conversations and whereabouts all day long, including her teacher's trips to the bathroom. This creates El Defo, Cece's second self, who now has super hearing powers and the ability to make friends when they all discover creative uses for the phonic ear. I could relate to little Cece, I was the only Filipino girl in an all-white school growing up. My dark hair, eyes and skin, and my last name, Baguio, made me feel different from my classmates. 
My first friend was exactly like Cece's first friend Emma, who was pushy and competitive. References to the TV Guide and 70s television shows made me laugh out loud as it reminded me of my childhood. The graphic novel format of El Defo perfectly illustrates Cece's struggles with family, friendships, school, and her disabilities. All the characters are skillfully rendered as cute bunnies with huge ears, which the author has described as a visual metaphor. And readers can quickly understand what Cece is hearing or not hearing by looking at the illustrated speech bubbles. Bell's fascinating memoir that interweaves universal themes of finding a friend and fitting in is recommended for ages eight and up. It's no wonder this graphic novel has received so many awards. Who can resist the message? Our differences are our superpowers. Rita Christensen, children's librarian at the Orem Library, reviewing a junior graphic novel entitled El Defo by Cece Bell. We'll look forward to more young reader book reviews from other librarians in the future. For a full collection of book reviews, check out the World's Awaiting Book Reviews link on our website at byuradio.org. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio Sirius XM Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.